Hey there, Adam here again with the Madison Story Slam podcast. You may know me from other such podcasts as... Well, I'm not really a part of any other podcast, but uh, I'm glad you're listening to this one. Hey, our theme for this podcast was word vomit. Have you ever had those moments where you've said something you kind of regret right in the moment, but you still just... That's what these stories are about, so stick around and hear those. And, uh, hey, our next Story Slam is Saturday, September 17th. The theme then will be Scars... And we'll have great prizes and and all that jazz. So we want to see you there. Until then, enjoy these word vomits. Um, another time that I had word vomit, uh, if you're a regular here, you know that I went to a Christian school from K through 12 uh, at a high school that my grandpa started. Um, it sucked. And it, it, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Uh, and... Uh, in 10th grade, I had a teacher named Mrs. Thompson, and she taught, uh, she was a social studies teacher, and so she, it was psychology, I think, that she, we were taking that semester, and teacher in the loosest form of the words, um, and one day, like, we're in 10th grade, right? We're 16, and people were sort of, like, talking, but barely, and we had this huge test the next day, like, on everything. It was like a final. My school didn't really have finals. But, like, if it was a final, like, this is what that was. Um, and we hadn't learned, like, two chapters from this book. And that was going to be a huge portion of this test. And somebody, like, whispered something in the middle of her trying to teach. <laughs> and she flipped out and was like, why should I teach you if you're not going to listen? If you're, like, no more talking. And I'm not going to teach you anymore, so why should I? And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And, like, she was really angry. I, I can't do the angry female teacher voice. Um, and everybody was, like, heads down, like, oh, wow, this got real. And I slowly... <laughs> I slowly raised my hand, and she was like, what? And I went, because uh, it's your job. <laughs> and she said, excuse me? I said, listen, whether... I, and I swear to God I said this. This is not hyperbole. This is not like, uh, hey, aren't I such a badass? This is just what I said. I said, whether or not you feel like teaching us today, you have to because you're being paid to do it. We have a huge test tomorrow that nobody knows anything about because you haven't taught it to us, and we're all going to fail it, and it's going to be your fault. So again, you have to teach us because it's your job. So that, that went about as well as, like, hitting a cop in the face with a baseball bat for no reason. Uh, she started screaming at me. And I can't really do it justice, but, like, every time she took a breath, uh, her pitch would go up a step. So she was like, you know what, Adam? I got to tell you that you are. And so, like, by the end, she was, like, as high as you can be. And then um, I kept trying to, like, be like, Mrs. Tom... Mrs. Thompson, no, and but she just kept yelling at me, and then she goes, she goes, uh, I'm going to go to the very top to get you expelled. Meanwhile, my grandpa had started this school, <laughs> and at the time, it had been handed down to my uncle, so I said, well, that's my uncle, so good luck, <laughs> and uh, she told me to get out of the classroom, and, I, and that's when I was really like, Mrs. Thompson, stop being ridiculous, and she's like, get out of here! And like I said, it was a small private Christian school. And anybody go to a, like a small school? 
either public or private, whatever. You know that uh, in those small schools, uh, they have this really weird, unique ability that when something happens in first hour, somehow before the end of that first hour, the entire school knows what happened in your class. And like, this was a time where texting wasn't a thing. You didn't, I don't, I will never understand that phenomenon. But yeah, by, by the end of first hour, everybody in the school knew. So I went through the rest of my day, like, whatever, I don't care. I'm a 16 year old jerk. Uh, <laughs> and at the end of the day, I showed up back in her room. Oh, she also said, when, when she told me to get out of the room, she said, I don't ever want to see your face again. And so I showed up in her room at the end of the day. And like, I was like, I had a study hall right before the end of the day, and I, I was really like, I don't know what to do, because she doesn't want to see my face again. So I showed up in her classroom, and she was helping a student. She didn't see me, and she had her head down at her desk. That student left, and I stood in front of her desk, and her head's still down. And I just kind of go, <clears throat> and she looks up, and she's like, <sighs> and I said, so do you like want me to come to class with a bag over my head tomorrow? <laughs> Or and she burst out laughing. <laughs> I was like, "All right, I'll see you tomorrow." <laughs> so yeah, that's my story. Uh, first up tonight, we have somebody who. How many stories do you think you told? Like three or four here? Yeah. So she's an she's an old pro. She's not a novice. So please cheer like you're cheering for a pro. Here's Maria De La O. All right, everybody, starting things off. Okay, so, you know, this is a story that happened in high school, like so many things. And um, first off, I don't ever feel like I can complain as much about my high school experience as some people because, you know, it always looming in the back of my mind was my father's voice, and my dad is significantly older than most other fathers of, you know, people my age. But he grew up in East L.A., I mean, straight up, like, in the, like, in the projects, um, literally having to deal with gangs every day, and, and that's part of the reason why he wanted to raise a family here, so that we wouldn't have to deal with that. So I'm always like, well, okay, at least I didn't have to, you know, deal with gangbangers and whatnot in high school. But when he was a little bit younger than that, I always remember him telling me um, about his experiences even in elementary school, like, for instance, when he was getting ready to make his first communion. And they had nuns for teachers in his school, uh, another Catholic school. And he was, they were practicing receiving First Communion. I'm sorry if you guys don't know what that is. It's when you take the little piece of bread in church and you, they say the body of Christ and you take it, etc. So he's, you know, like eight years old. He's practicing for that. And he's really nervous because when you're eight years old, that seems very odd. And even when you're not eight years old, thinking about it sometimes, it seems bizarre. He's getting ready to make his way up. And the nuns were very strict. They didn't want children talking in the church. And right as he turns and takes a step to turn to his friend and say, he wants to tell him how afraid he is. He opens his mouth to say, I'm skit. And all he remembers is the nun's fist hitting him in the face. He said he saw a star he always claimed and there were always things like that going on with him or like in the church when the priest had to use a ladder to change a light bulb during one of these instances and he fell off the ladder and the thing fell down shattered glass and before he knew what he was doing he yelled out son of a bitch in the house of god the nun told everybody to cover their ears It, it was too late we'd all already heard it but i didn't have anything like that happen to me that's just my father but 
When I was in 10th grade, I had this great English teacher, Mr. Harris, fantastic teacher, one of the best I've uh, ever been taught by. And he was a good guy. He was about 6'5". He'd played uh, football in high school and college, and he was very proud of this fact. And he was in one of the most notorious uh, and popular black fraternities when he was in college, and he was also very proud of this fact. He's a great guy. But uh, one time in English class, we were, I think we were uh, diagramming sentences, and the sentence that we had to diagram and write on the chalkboard for some reason was, so you're the big lug who sent me those flowers. I'm like, who thinks these things up? And so one of the other students raises his hand and goes, Mr. Harris, what's a lug? And he, Mr. Harris is trying to define it for him. And finally, just without you know, really thinking about what I'm saying, I say, oh, you know, like a big dumb football player. And there's my 6'5 teacher who has to duck his head to get into the room. And he was a very learned man. He was very erudite. So not dumb at all, but yeah, definitely a football player. He had his college football helmet, for God's sake, on his desk. And he turns around and he goes, excuse me? And I was like, yeah, you know, just like a really stupid, like one of those meathead, like uh, bohunk type guys that you see, like football player. And somebody else chimes in, oh, like that guy at the movies. Because at the time, in like 2008, there was this popular, you know, commercial before the movies at Point Cinema that said, you know, silence your cell phone. And it was like Peyton Manning. I couldn't tell you who it is, Peyton Manning or one of those guys, you know, telling you, it's really important to silence your phone. Because they all, like, I, I felt like all football players sounded like that. They couldn't really get the words out. And he just looks at me and he shakes his head and he goes, girl, you just push your foot in your mouth. But I was able to try to recover from that as only a few short minutes later, in that same class period with Mr. Harris, uh, another student, I, I believe it was the same student who didn't know the definition of the word lug, uh, was asked to, you know, speak about a book that we were reading. We'd gotten into the book discussion portion, enough with the grammar, and, um, and, and then we were, you know, reading some poetry, and he said, well, Scott, what do you think is going on in this poem? What do you think that the poet is trying to say? And he said, well, Mr. Harris, I'm glad you asked. You know, I, I really feel that the meaning of this poem is best addressed in the last Kwanzaa of the poem. And for a minute, everybody just kind of looked down. <laughs> now, this is the part where I remind you, my, my teacher was a Christian, and he did not hide this fact. Um, he didn't celebrate Kwanzaa. He was African-American. He didn't celebrate Kwanzaa. And he asked Scott, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? He said, yes, the last Kwanzaa of the poem. That's where, you know, that's how we know what this poem is about. That's why he's explaining what he's really talking about in the last Kwanzaa. And he looks around and he goes, can anybody tell me what's wrong with what Scott just said? And I slowly raise my hand and say, isn't Kwanzaa an African holiday? I think the word that you were looking for was stanza. And he just looks at me and he's like, are you sure? I think that, I thought, you know, Kwanzaa, the right, you guys? The Kwanzaa of the poem. And I said, all you need to remember is George Costanza. It's the last stanza. And the teacher, I don't think he had any more words at that point after my little performance, so he simply shook his head and he went on with the lesson. Um, Still the best teacher I ever had. He moved to La Follette the next year, but um, it was always one of the better high school experiences that I had. And I am very grateful that this kind man was able to forgive all of our word vomit because I'm sure we've all been there in class. Thank you. I really enjoyed that last Chavez of your story. Um, Our next storyteller, uh, I hope you don't mind me saying this, uh, is, I think, one of our oldest storytellers. 
who routinely comes and tells stories. Um, I, I love this event for a lot of reasons, but especially because there's, there's no age uh, restrictions. The youngest storyteller we ever had was, I think, 13 years old, which I think is really cool because, again, it takes a lot of balls to get up here and speak into a microphone. Um, and I think our next storyteller is probably at the top of the spectrum for the, uh, the age of our storyteller. So please put your hands together for Tom Schmidt. Yeah, I'm an old guy, all right. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, when I was a younger person, um, very rarely were there bad words came out of my mouth. Uh, I was brought up not swearing. Uh, I had a lot of respect for my parents. loved my grandparents. And uh, you just didn't do stuff in school that would... Uh, present problems for your parents or for you. So that's kind of the way it was. The other thing is that it was a very competitive situation, meaning, you know, if it was time to run a race, you tried to win. And if it is you uh, in gym class, you know, uh, you were uh, doing uh, uh, push-ups, uh, you know, if the guy next to you did 50, you did 51. And uh, so competition was, was a big part of my growing up. And, and I liked to compete. Uh, you know, when it came time for tests, you know, if you had to get an A, you, you know, you aim for the 100. And on the other hand, if you got a, a 90, uh, you still passed. It worked out good. <laughs> The, uh, when it came time for college, 1965 is when I graduated high school, and the Vietnam War was going on. And when I entered college, uh, 1965 through 66, um, the war was getting worse. Uh, I was brought up not, uh, you know, contesting what obligations were. On the other hand, I knew that Vietnam was not right. And I was planning on contesting it, but uh, I had a bad semester in school and I lost my A1 status and I had to go in for a draft physical. And uh, I think people, men and women now, I think have to register for the draft. Am I correct? Okay. Uh, only men at that time. And uh, so anyway, I went in for my draft physical. And uh, it's quite an exp- I mean, for people who haven't done this before, uh, you go in and you take a, a written test. And before you take the written test, they explain to you that if you get less than 50% right, you're not trying, and therefore you're going to take the test again, and you're going to sit there until you do pass the test. Well, it's a test, you know, so you 
like a dumbass, uh, you know, you try real hard because, you know, you want to do good. It's a test. Then the other parts of the physical, you know, you stand there, you get all your clothes off, and you stand there, and you bend over, and your guy sticks his finger up your ass, and, <laughs> and he checks to see if you got hernias, and you cough left, and you cough right. And at some point, you got to do a, uh, a urine test. Part of the urine test is, you know, you go into the room, and there's this big trough, and they give you a little cup to piss into, and everybody's squirting all over the place, hoping somebody next to you's got a disease. <laughs> then comes the other parts of the test. And this is where my word problem developed. You're standing in line, and it's a, a vision test. Now, my eyes are, are not good. And I've worn glasses since I was third grade. And, and the joke is that, you know, they don't allow me into the woods when the sun is shining because I start forest fires. <laughs> so you take this test with your glasses off, which is take your glasses off. But, you know, when you're standing in line, you see that damn chart in front of you. And, of course, it's a test coming up, right? And so, you know, you see the big E's going this way. And so you walk up and you take your glasses off, and my eyes are not good, to be quite honest. I could very easily have said, I don't know where the E's going. But like a dumbass, and this is where my misspeaking took place, I told them, well, I saw it was going this way. I memorized it. So the guy writes down on my chart, eyes bad, but okay. <laughs> and that... <laughs> <laughs> that was the beginning. Well, that is my word vomit, I guess, is that it's the way it was. Um, as far as how the draft turned out for me, I got back into school, and I graduated. I mean, my wife and I, we were married at the time, and, uh, and then I started fighting with the draft. But that's a different story. Thanks, Tom. You know, Tom, uh, that finger up the butt and the peeing everywhere, a lot of people call that, call that just like a pre-screening for the military. Some of us call it a Saturday night. Uh, our next storyteller, uh, the last time I saw her, uh, she was drunk in a bar, and we had a wonderful conversation. Please, <laughs> please put your hands together for Charlie Rowe. We won't tell you the truth about. Okay. I wasn't sure which story I was going to tell when I got here. First time I came here was last summer, just about the same month. I do a birthday bucket list. Last year is number 39. And one of my items was do something brave. So I Googled things to do in Madison. And Story Slam was there, came, put my name in, came up and kind of word vomited, if you will, a story quite impromptu because I found the theme out when I met Adam at the registration table. So this is on my bucket list for 40, but um, I'm only getting to do one thing tonight, so. 
forgive me if this doesn't exactly fit in the theme, but I want to ask, how many of you guys have like those pat answers for when somebody asks you, how are you doing? We all do. Hey, what's up? I'm good. How you doing? Yeah, that, but you see, we don't say those things, do we? We don't say, I'm tired. We say, "It's, it's, it's all right. You know, we have these pat answers and I am so good at them. I've mastered them. What I'm not good at is when somebody physically stops, stands right in front of me and looks me right in the eye. That kind of look that just, you want to look away, but then you know you look shady and you want to look at them, but you never quite know like how long is appropriate because it gets kind of weird at some point. But when somebody stops in front of you and they have that physical presence and they look you right in the eye and they command your eyeballs on their eyeballs and they look at you and they say, just tell me what's going on. I want to say your word right now. Plan B was to come and just word vomit and impromptu story based upon a verb that I gave my brother and sister, but we're going with plan A. I would have said your word. I would have said shit, but it was a pastor that I was talking to. So I just kind of looked at them and then like they knew that there was words weighed down inside of me. He put his hand on my shoulder and pushed and he said, tell me. And what erupted from me was words I never, ever intended to come out. It was just projectile. Like my son Eli, he is the best. You give that dude goat's milk because you want to be all healthy, and it's, it's across the room, and you're not really sure how it's on the wall, but there's nothing in between your child and it. <laughs> and that's kind of what I felt like because I know the words had been there for so long I thought about it. 12 years I'd been writing this story. 12 years. And if you know anything about INFJs, we write and we scribble and we rewrite. And then we say, wait, if I tell this ever, which I never intend on doing, let's just semicolon that and ellipses. I'm addicted to ellipses because I'm addicted to words and they all kind of run together. And I vomit them out a lot. (laughs) They know. They do. But I didn't want to say these words, and I was so good at being guarded, so good at it. And I wasn't ready for the silence, because the hand was down, and there was two jaws hanging there, and there was two sets of eyes looking at each other, and my eyes, I'm not a bold person by any means, that's why I have to do bucket lists to make myself do things, it's an accountability thing. But I felt kind of brave at that moment. In that instant, I said, that's right. I said it. You asked me. You deal with it now. I've been carrying it. You pushed me down. You asked me. It's yours. And they were gone. The weight of the words and the story that had taken so long to write, they were gone. And I was silent. And it was really heavy for an instant. And then it was really light. And I saw that they had that weight. But then the silence gets really weird because you don't know how to fill the void anymore because it's been all that you have been is those words, those stories, kind of like your own little dialogue as you go through life and you do these routines, but they were gone. And as quickly as they erupted, they were silent. And it takes a really long time to find words when there are no more. And so you start with bucket lists, and you start with simply saying it as you go along. 
She knows. I tell people things. I say, hey, I got this really cool project that I want to do because I'm doing this like personal self-reinvention thing and I vomit words all the time. It's kind of my thing. And if you look at my resume, I've been a teacher. I'm now paid to do a lot of talking. I kind of, it's what I do. It's what I'm good at. But there's a vulnerability when somebody wants words from you that you don't want to tell. And then you're stuck because they're gone And then you know that those words have power. They have power to rearrange your life. They have power because you never, ever wanted anybody to know that those words were even in you. And your silence, it doesn't fill the void. And when they start asking you, somebody like you, you're so freaking smart. How could you do that for 12 years? You have no words left. Yeah, well... How, what, what was going on? What were you thinking? I got look getting that out of me. I, I told my story. There's nothing here. There's nothing left. There's no words. Nothing. It's, it's just not there. And so you start, and you keep going, and you start writing again. But this time, you get it your own way. You say, wait a minute. They made me tell them words that I didn't want to say. I'm going to have to figure out a way that everything that comes out is what I want to come out. And the only way that I know that if somebody stops and says, tell me what's, go- what's really going on with you. And they stop and then that thing gets kind of weird because the eye thing just gets... I-, I look shady all the time. I'm like, really cool architecture up there. Yeah. Because I know after too long I'm going to say something that I don't want to say. But the only way to do it is to write my own words. So I started rewriting, and I started rewriting, and I find that the more I write those words down and I hold myself accountable to them, that I'm not so afraid when they come out. Because I've already said, no, wait, I want these words in the story of me. And then when they come out, they're just not that bad. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, So you said something that reminded me of another teacher I had in high school uh, talking about having like a prepared answer for like when people are like, how are you? By the way, my answer is always tired when people ask me how I am. I'm tired. Um, It's usually pretty too. But I I had a a gym teacher, a gym teacher uh, in high school. And again, I went to a Christian high school. Uh, anytime you saw her walking in the hall, he said, Hey, how you doing? Her answer every time was I'm blessed. (laughs) And she would either say it happy like that or she'd go, you know, I'm blessed. That's all I can say. I'm blessed. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Okay. Just tell me how you are. Like I hated that so much. Like if you're having a crappy day, it's okay. You can say that God's not going to smite you for having a crappy day. It's probably why you're having a crappy day. Anyway, our next storyteller is a person who tells stories. So please put your hands together for Mel Hammond. This story takes place at work during a team meeting. Um, So I'm on a pretty small team. Erica's on my team. She was there. 
um, so she can verify. We meet every two weeks, and there are about 15 of us on the team. In this team meeting, there is my boss, my boss's boss, and my backup boss for when my regular boss is gone. Every time we have a meeting, we do an icebreaker, and usually it's something silly, like if work was canceled for the rest of the day, what would you go do? Or if you had your human body and an animal head, what animal head would you choose? But this week, it was, what was the most rebellious thing you've ever done? And I'm like, okay, okay. All right, think about this before you come up with a story. You want to filter out all the alcohol stories, all the drug stories, all the, anything illegal, like that's out. So think of something besides that. That's the remo- most rebellious thing. So I'm like, oh, yeah, got it. I think of something immediately. It's, it has a strong feminist message at the end. I'm like, this is going to be perfect. <laughs> so I've got my story, and then I sit back and listen to everyone else tell their icebreaker stories. So my um, boss's boss goes, she's like, oh, yeah, I don't really do anything rebellious. I honestly can't think of anything. She's, like, not very good at icebreakers. (laughs) (laughs) So that was her answer. My backup boss, for when my regular boss is gone, um, he says something like, oh, yeah, one time I supplied a Mexican drug cartel with weapons. He was joking, but it was like, that, that was, that's the kind of answer he gives for icebreakers. And then my boss says, okay, this isn't very rebellious, but this is the best one I can think of. She goes, one time I was little and I was having a sleepover and my mom told us we had to go to bed and we didn't. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa. Mine is going to be a little bit better than that. (laughs) So while the other people are telling their stories, I am not thinking about my story at all. Because I rarely think before I tell stories. They just come from me. So it comes around to me, and I'm like, all right, here we go. I open my mouth to say the first sentence, and I realize there is beer in the first sentence. I'm like, god damn it. So the first sentence was going to be, I was on the, a roof at my college drinking beer with friends. So I'm like, okay, filter out the beer. Let's just tell the story sans beer. That's fine. It'll be a fine story. So I start telling my story. Now I know that this is going to get a little confusing because it's a story within a story. But if you get confused, just raise your hand and I will explain it to you. Okay, so I am telling a story to my teammates and I am filtering out the part about the beer. So I tell them, okay, so I'm on the roof at school with some friends. And I'm thinking back to this story that my brother told me once. Okay, so we've got a story within a story within a story. So stop me if I'm going too fast. (laughs) Okay, so I'm telling my friends on the roof about the story my brother told me. He says, there was this kid at my college who made it a point during his four years in college to climb every building on campus and pee off the top. And I delivered the sentence to my team. And I was like, whoa, hold on, you just said pee in a meeting. Are you sure this story is okay to tell? 
in front of your boss and your boss's boss and your backup boss? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's like, we're cool. <laughs> so I continue with this story, <laughs> leaving out the beer part. Okay, so on the roof at school, I'm telling my friends, yeah, so I heard this story about a kid who pees off the top of every building, and I'm like, I bet I could do that. <laughs> I know that I don't have a penis, which makes it easier, arguably, to pee off the top of a building, but I'm a feminist, so I'm not going to let that stand in my way. I can pee off the top of every building on campus. Like, I like climbing stuff. Like, this is totally cool. So I'm on the roof already with my friends. I'm like, guys, tonight's the night. (laughs) Tonight's the night I'm going to pee off the first building on campus. And this will start my journey of peeing off buildings. (laughs) So I'm drinking beer, but I don't tell my team that. I just tell my team... I was drinking water, so I was, like, I had to pee, like, that happened. And again, I'm in the meeting, and I'm like, should I really be, like, describing this? I'm getting a little nervous, but again, I'm like, no, it's, it's fine. It's totally cool. Okay, so, I'm on the roof. I tell my friends this story, this goal, and um, so, a little bit about the roofs on my campus. So, we... Uh, would climb out onto the balcony outside our dorms and the roofs all connected. So you could get from one side of front quad, you could walk onto the post office roof um, above like where the campus safety is and then across this other dorm. And then that connected to the opposite side of front quad and you could get all around um, walking on the roof. So at this, during this story, we were on top of the post office um, where campus safety was and there was a, like a metal roof. So I climb over the metal roof onto the dance studio, which is kind of like, it's not on front quad, it's like on the other side. It's this flat concrete roof and there's like this concrete ledge around. So I walk out to the ledge and I'm like looking down and I'm like, oh gosh, I'm a few stories up. <laughs> um, I'm a little drunk, but I don't tell my team that because we're at work. Um, So I look down. I'm like, okay, let's talk logistics. How are we going to do this? (laughs) I look over. I'm like, okay, I know. I have heard people tell stories about women peeing, like, with a plan, you know, like, with an arc. (laughs) But, like, now is probably not the best time to practice that for the first time unless I... (laughs) I'm willing to clean up a mess or, like, take everything off completely. I'm above campus safety. Like, they are right below me. So I'm like, okay, I don't really want to be caught naked on the roof trying to pee off the side of the building. Um, again, I don't tell my team all these details, but this is what's going through my head on top of the roof. Um, so I... Um, kind of consider sitting on the concrete ledge. I'm like, I could dangle my legs off and still technically get the pee off of the building. (laughs) And as I'm like thinking through this experience during the meeting, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) what was I thinking? The answer was nothing. I was not thinking about anything. (laughs) 
I was listening to people tell stories about being a kid and not going to bed when their mom told them they had to go to sleep. So I'm like, okay, decision point. Do I continue with the story or do I just like abort and say, yeah, so I decided not to pee off the building and then I climbed down from the roof. But I like to think of myself as someone who has integrity as a storyteller. I really didn't want to lie to them. I was like, well, what if someone asked me about it, the story later and I like told them a different version of the tale? Then every story I tell is going to be like, oh, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. So I was like, I got to go forward with this story. So I tell my team at 10 o'clock a.m. on a work day about how I pulled my pants down, sat on top of the roof, and peed on the roof of the dance studio at my college. The end. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. I got nothing funny to say after that. That was funny enough on its own. I just like that, <laughs> that you heard about a guy that beat off buildings. So you're like, a woman can do that. It's true. Like, peeing off buildings, who cares? Anyway. Uh, our next storyteller, her name is Allison. And uh, it's her very first time at Story Slam. So needless to say, she's never told a story into this microphone before. Have you told stories into other microphones? No. She's never told any stories into any microphones. Please give a hearty, I hope I say your name right, a hearty round of applause for Allison Frankfather. Okay, so as our lovely host mentioned, this is my first time, and I feel like the theme is very appropriate for my first time telling a story, because sometimes I feel like my life is sort of one continuous stream of word vomit. Um, I feel like the, like the first sign that I am taking after my mother is that I'm like pretty uncomfortable with silence. Like I will, like I will fill it by whatever means necessary. <laughs> like for example, that like not that I said this, but like. For example, saying to some of your most conservative friends that you don't like indoor water parks because you feel like you're swimming with semen. <laughs> so, <laughs> but <laughs> that's not my story. So when I think of word vomit, I think of maybe like telling people about your emotions, but sort of like going a little too far with that. Like, like you can express yourself, but then, then maybe like expressing a little too much. Like some of the stuff where you're like, Maybe I should have bottled that in, but no, I'm going to tell you, though. So that's what my story is about. Um, so, like, I'm sure many of you in this room have experienced, like, I, like I've had crushes on people. Like, I've liked people. Um, and usually, like, that's not really a big deal because I'm, like, pretty open about my emotions. Like, I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. Like, you will know how I feel. Like, I can't hide it. I have a very expressive face, and as aforementioned, I kind of talk a lot, so it'll come out. <laughs> um, but this is kind of one of those situations where like, I had this huge crush on my friend, um, Joe. That's really his name. It's not a pseudonym. It's like a very, it's like a very common name, but his name really, really is Joe. 
It's short for Joseph. Um, fun fact. So I had this big crush on him, and it was just one of those situations where, like, he's, like, much better looking than I am. He's, like, a lot funnier than I am. He's, like, got a lot more friends than I do. And it's kind of like, like, why are you even friends with me? <laughs> like, like, how are we even friends? And, like, I felt kind of, like, I was sort of crossing a line by even, like, liking him, even, like, wanting to date him. I'm kind of, like, maybe I'm sort of, like, doing a little, like, kind of going beyond what I'm, like, the gods will allow me to do kind of thing. Um, but I, did, I, like, really was into him. And, uh, yeah, to this day, like, spoiler alert, he's kind of, like, my, my best friend today, like, as we speak. So I was like, spoiler alert, like, I'm kind of still, why are you friends with me? So, I, like, a couple years ago, um, just had, like, this huge crush on him. I was, like, super in love with him and just, like, thought about him all the time. And I was like, you know, but like, you don't have to tell him that. Like, you don't have to be like, I'm in love with you. Like, I think about what our kids would look like. And, <laughs> and I like fantasize about crying at your funeral someday. <laughs> like, 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 you can just like start small. You can just be like, hey, like, how would you feel about like going on a date with me sometime? <laughs> like, like, that's all you need to do. So it takes me like... It's like a year's time. I'm like thinking of like, like, oh, like, how am I going to like play it casual? How am I going to like act natural by like, just be like, hey, like maybe we should go on a date. Like, (laughs) which like first, like that's my first red flag, right? Like, like I'm going to try to like act like I'm keeping it casual or like I'm going to like try to like act natural. Like that's kind of an oxymoron, right? Like the best way to like keep things casual or to like act natural, just like don't plan ahead. For acting like you haven't planned ahead for this. Like, just wait till the moment comes. But, like, that's what I was waiting for. Like, I was waiting for the moment to come. Like, like when are we going to, like, be alone together? Like, when is it going to be right for me to be like, like, do you want to go on a date with me? Like, um, so, like, in retrospect, I know I was actually, like, waiting. Like, when is he going to be trapped with me? Like, when will he be unable to, like, get away from me and, like, have to, like, listen to me tell him, like, I want to be by your side for the rest of my life. (laughs) So, like, the moment came. (laughs) Um, So, just to set the stage for you, we, I don't remember exactly, like, how we got, like, probably tricked into doing this, like, how it happened. But we basically, like, my friend lived in this, like, garbage house with, like, garbage people. And we had, like, gone over to his house to, like, watch a movie or something. And then we're about to leave. It's, like, midnight. And he's like, oh, can you guys take out my trash? (laughs) Yeah. And we were just like, like, okay. Because he would, like, give us food. He would, like, give us beer all the time. We're like, oh, it's, like, the least we can do. He just, like, had mounds and mounds and mounds of trash in this, like, shed that looks like a shed where you would, like, go to, to, like, get killed by, like, an old man with, like, a peg leg. (laughs) And so we, like, go into this shed, and we're just like, what? Like, why are we we helping you? So we, like, take his trash out. We, like, jump this, like, barbed wire fence because he's like, yeah, we have to pay for trash, and that's why we don't take it out. Just, like, put it in my neighbor's dumpster. So we're like, okay. Like, are we breaking the law? I don't know. So that's how the night started. We were taking out all this trash. So then we're, like, walking back. Like, we're walking back to, like, 
Yeah, I was in college at the time, so we were walking back to the, the campus of our college. And I was like, yeah, like, this is a perfect time <laughs> to tell him. Like, after he took out all this trash <laughs> to tell him, like, that I want to go on a date with you. So, like, out the window goes my, like, carefully calculated and, like, super seductive, like, hey, like, how about we go on a date sometime? <laughs> like, like, statement. And instead... Like, I don't know what happened. Well, I do know what happened. I lost my freaking mind. <laughs> like, for, like, the whole, like, ten or so minutes it took us to, like, get back to campus. I'm, like, I take that whole time, basically, to, like, tell him I want to go out with him. <laughs> and, I, like, just, like, think of the worst thing that you can imagine. And it's, like, as bad or worse as that. <laughs> it's, like, there are cliches in there. Like, I'm pretty sure the statement, like, oh, you make me feel like the best version of myself. Probably, like, it... <laughs> way in there <laughs> and just like oh, I love spending time with you and just like when we're together like I'm just so happy and like I'm just think you're so great and it was oh my god and like as I'm talking I'm like oh my god like Allison stop talking like get this back on track get this back on track Allison the track is gone like the track is under construction like the, the track was out of the picture like the, after minute one of when you were talking like, there is no more track. <laughs> like, just shut up <laughs> and salvage this while you can. Oh, there was no salvaging it. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. I just kept being like, um, yeah, so, like, I just, I just think we would be, like, really great together. And, like, we just have so much fun as friends. And like, I just think that would be even better, like, if we were dating. And so, like, do you want to, like, go, I don't know, like... It, I'm just like, I'm hearing myself talking and I'm thinking, oh my God, stop. And I'm not, I'm not stopping. And he's just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, okay. <laughs> and I, and he's just like, uh, yeah, so uh, I think we work well as friends, but that's, that's probably all it's going to be. <laughs> I'm like, okay, like I probably saw that one coming as soon as I opened my mouth. Um, but yeah, so it was I was like April, so like I said, this was at college, so it's like summer vacation was right around the corner, and like we're still good friends, so I'm like, you know, he's a, like just a great person, as evidenced by the fact, like we are still good friends, and it's like, we're like best friends, I'm not kidding, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to take like summertime, just forget that I ever did that, and just like come back to school and be like, oh, like we're still friends, and like this is great, okay, well... So when he was, like, talent, like, rejecting me, when he was rejecting me, like, that's what it was. So I'm not going to, not going to mince words. When he was rejecting me, what he said, he was like, he was like, yeah, I'm just not really ready for a relationship right now. <laughs> okay, well, I feel like I kind of get excluded from all the cliches I said because that was his response. And, yeah, then come to find out, he started dating someone over the summer, so that was obviously a lie. And when he, like, tells me that, what do I say? Do I say, oh, that's great. That's good for you. Oh, how fun. I can't wait to meet her. Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. No. The three months I spent thinking, oh, good, I can redeem myself when we meet again in the next school year. Just be like, yeah, we're cool. We're friends. Like, I'm over you. No. I say, you know what? I wish that was me. What is wrong with you? 
And I tried again, like try to redeem myself, try to bounce back from this. Like he's just so good looking. I don't know what I'm saying, what I'm thinking. And then I was like, oh, I got to say this. Like, yeah, like I just really like, I wish it was me, but like, I'm still happy for you though. But like, um, I just like, it would be great. Like if I could date you and like, I guess I'm not happy. But, like, I'm happy for you because, like, you're a great friend and I love you. I mean, like, I don't love you, but, like, I love you, like, as a friend. Like, the same way I love, like, my girlfriends and my mom. But, like, I don't want to, like, like, help you plan out your retirement or anything like that. Um, so that didn't go too well. Um, and then um, time goes by and I think, okay, I bounced back from that. I proved with my behavior that, like, we're just good friends, and I'm, like, totally over it. Well, I'll just end this story by saying that one day, I wrote him this letter. (laughs) And as soon as I put it in the mailbox, I thought, Allison, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) And somehow, somehow, we're still really good friends. So, (laughs) let's just hope it stays that way. Thanks, Allison. Man. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> uh, I got a lot of things to say. Uh, you thought about how, you, you fantasized about how sad you'd be at his funeral? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> With that said, I'm married, and I have several times thought, my wife's going to be so sad when I die. (laughs) Uh, But who hasn't had a friend they've been hung up on? Like, I think everybody, maybe. Nobody's clapping, so nobody here has, except for me and Allison. I dated a girl in my senior year of high school. She's from Chicago, and I was, like, deeply in love with her. First real girlfriend. And then we broke up at the end of the senior year. And uh, I was heartbroken. But we remained really good friends, which is a terrible idea. So, like, every two years, for a solid five years, I'd be like, hey, what's up? And she'd be like, nope. That's a really condensed version of our conversations. <laughs> but we're still really good friends, to be honest with you, but I'm just married now. Um we are. I'm not. Well, I don't know. Uh, actually, the day after I got engaged, we, uh, my wife and I, had lunch with her and her husband. And uh, during the lunch, I was like, "Yeah, we got engaged last night." <laughs> her name is Christy, and Christy went, Haha, "No." <laughs> and I went, "Yeah." And like my wife held up her finger that had the engagement ring on it. She's like, you guys, that's so funny. You're not engaged. (laughs) And her husband was like, Christy, what is your problem? And she was like, they're not engaged. And I looked at her and I went, I asked her to marry me last night. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know why I just told that part of the story. Uh, we have another first-time storyteller up next. Is your last name... Oh, frickin' A, I forgot. Please put your hands together for Jerry Egner. 
Um, so yeah, this is my first time here. I did a uh, Madison Storytellers last year, um, and there was a mic stand, so I didn't have to do as much work. Um, <laughs> um, man, I don't know how I can follow that one. Holy cow. Um, yeah, you had said maybe after you get like five beers in you, you might be a little loosened up. Um, I don't drink, so I kind of wish I had some kombucha to get my drink on. Um, so I did not really prepare for this, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll see how it goes. Um, this is a story about uh, basically how to unconsciously ruin a friendship. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so uh, kind of high school, college. Um, so I was, uh, my senior year of high school, I was uh, friends with three younger girls and we were like a pack of four just you couldn't separate us um and then I went off to college and they were still in high school and um we are kind of having uh my other f- two two of the other girls um were talking to me about problems that they had been having with our other friend um and so things just kind of had been getting tense and um I so I, I grew up in a small town where you're basically friends with your friends' moms, um, your friends' parents, uh, which doesn't really work out well. Um, so uh, I believe it was over, yeah, it was over Christmas break, um, and uh, I had been talking to my friend's mom about how, like, you know, yeah, just things are are you know, kind of weird with, um, I'll call her Lisa. Um, (laughs) why is Lisa always a name? Um, so, uh, yeah, I was talking to my friend's mom about, you know, just how things have been kind of strained, uh, in our, all of our friendships and stuff. Um, basically she had been hanging out with this guy and had sort of been leaving other friends behind. Um, and so, yeah, I was talking with her mom and just, you know, like, yeah, things are just kind of weird. Like, I don't know what's going on with her. She's not really talking to me. And, you know, she's hanging out with this new guy and they slept together. And um, <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> her mom didn't know that. Um, and so, so I go back to school um, thinking that, like, okay, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have a talk with her and kind of see if we can work things out. And so I go back to school, um, and uh, I get this wonderful message from my friend uh, via text about um, just how, like, her mom had talked to her and, like, how everything had blown up and, like, why did you tell my mom I'm having sex and all this stuff. And, um, yeah, I... Definitely wasn't planned, um, but uh, yeah, so we basically had this uh, pretty huge fight via text, and uh, we're no longer friends. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, moral of the story, don't talk about your friends' sex lives with their moms. <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> that sounds like a bad idea. <clears throat> Give it up for Aaron Kalar.
Oh, you guys stopped. I was just going to hold it and let you guys clap forever, just to make things more awkward for him. <laughs> so a lot of these word vomit stories I've realized are about, you know, you saying things that end up in personal humiliation or embarrassment. My word vomit story ended up with me committing Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> is that a joke? I know you're like wheels in the head are thinking, like, no, this is how it happened. So um, here is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. <laughs> Let me take a minute, sit right there, and I'll tell you how I became the dumbest senior in Bel Air. Let me take you back straight to L.A., where I committed a GTA. Okay. Sorry, I had to vomit out some words for a second. So, this is senior year, right before senior year of college. Um, it's around the time, like now, right, when everyone's moving in and out of apartments. Um, I'm on my phone talking to my friend, and uh, my friend at this point has cancer. So I tell her, and it's between, like, I'm in between the doorway. I say, like, hey, whatever you want... Like, I will help you whatever you need. I'll be there for you. Whatever you need, anything you want, I got it. I'm there for you, no matter what. You understand? Okay, cool. Um, I just wish the best for you. And I hang up, and I turn around, and then I get a sudden huge hug. And she's like, oh, my God, thank you, Rune. And it was my roommate's girlfriend. And I'm like, get off me. <laughs> I'm really confused at this moment. And she's like, thank you. Like, I didn't know what to do. I was freaking out. Like, I'm so glad you're here to help me. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And my roommate comes up like, oh, bro, dude, thanks, man. I was freaking out, man. I'm not going to be here, but thanks, dude. I owe you. I owe you, room, bro, thanks. It's like, what do you guys want? And then it hits me that they thought I was talking to her and them about whatever problems they had. Well, I was talking to my friend, and now I'm at this moment where, like, do I tell them and clarify? Like, no, I don't care about you guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking to my friend. Or do I just kind of be like, okay, well, you know, you're not that much of an ass. So it's like, let me just pretend that, you know, I was talking to them. So I'm like, okay, yeah, so what do you need? Because, like, honestly, how bad could their, you know, problem really be? Like, what could I not do that, you know, they wouldn't really need? So she goes like, Arun, all I really need from you, like, it's just, can you give me a car? Like, I just need a car to just move my stuff from A to B. And I'm like, sure, yeah, why not? Like, it's L.A. How hard it, can it be to find a car, right? Apparently harder than I thought. Um, so I go around asking friend to friend, like, hey, can I borrow this car? And every single one says no, because it's that time moving season. So there's finally one friend left that I haven't asked. And even, like, at that moment, I was kind of giving, like, uh, should I? Because, like, if there's one person you don't want to ask, it's that person whose major is philosophy and occupation is drug dealer. Like, at that point, my judgment should have gone, like, nah, nah. But I'm still thinking, like, come on, what's the worst that could happen, right? Like, I'm just going to ask him for a favor. So I go, and I knock on the door. Now, I have to describe my friend to you um, in order to understand how this could conceivably happen in reality, in any situation. You have to understand Freddie. Freddie immigrated from Colombia. Um, he always wore like a Cuban shirt, kind of a Cuban open shirt, gold chain, greasy black hair. And upon arriving in America, he, I guess, either decided that he wanted to sound exactly like Matthew McConaughey or watched Dazed and Confused so many times that he ended up becoming Matthew McConaughey's character. So I knock on the door and he opens it and this is what I hear. All right, all right, all right. Hey, hey, Kay, how's it going, man? 
I'm just like, I'm doing good, Freddie. How about you? He's like, I got pizza here, and I got a stack of bud right here. Right? Then he starts ripping up marijuana. Like, he starts ripping up the marijuana leaves and putting it as toppings on the pizza. Right? And I'm just like, okay. He's like, you want some? And I'm just like, no. He's like, no, man, I got to microwave it first. It's like, so he microwaves it, takes it out, and then eats it. And I look at him, and I'm like, Freddie, that's not how it works. Like, that's not how marijuana works. At this point, a red flag was, like, smacking me across the face. Like, get out, you know? Because, like, if I have to explain to a drug dealer how marijuana works, like, we're already at a standpoint. And Freddie's like, nah, man, like, I'm super stoned, man. I'm so high. I'm, man, yeah, you man, I got pizza, bud, boom. And it's like, no. I was like, you want some? I'm like, no. He's like, you sure? I'm like, you were already high. You can't get higher from putting pizza. Anyhow, Freddie, do you know if there's anyone that has a car I could borrow? Like, anyone at all. I just need to borrow a car, like, you know, just for a short bit, like a few hours. And Freddie's like, oh, man. Like, oh, hey, hey. Yeah, man, all right. Like, you know, my friend Bobby V. You know Bobby V, right? No. It's like, okay, Bobby V, man. Like, he's going to be out of town for a week, man. Like, he's got a car, man. It's a Lincoln. Uh, I hear it's going to be cool one day. I'm just kidding. He didn't say the Lincoln part. But he did say, he's like, yeah, man, just like, you know, I'll ring up my friend Bobby V. Like, I'll set everything going. Man, it's good. It's all good, man. And then he passed out. So I get a call, and I'm able to talk to Bobby V. And so we arrange a meet in front of Freddie's place. So I go to meet Bobby V. And he's about, like, 5'5"-ish. Short, kind of buzzed, blonde hair, polo shirt, wearing khakis, uh, sketchers. I always remember why he's wearing Skechers. Um, so I go to meet Bobby V, and I'm like, hey, Bobby V? He's like, well, most people actually call me Robert, but sure, you can call me Bobby. <laughs> and then he goes, A-A-K? And I'm like, well, Arun. He's like, okay, cool. And he tells me, like, hey, so Arun, this is my, my Honda, and it's a Honda Civic, silver Honda Civic. He's like, here's my Honda. Um, you could borrow it for, like, I'm going to be gone for a week. So you could borrow for a week. Um, when I get back, just, like, give me a call. Give me a ring, and I'll pick it up. Um, you know, keep it safe. Keep it clean. You know, the usual. So take care of yourself. And he hands me the keys. I'm like, cool. Everything's great. I got a car. I move all my stuff. I move my roommate's stuff. I'm a hero to the roommate's girlfriend, who I hate. So it's all good, you know? Um, I even do have, like, I do extra chores. I can go out. I have fun for a week. I have a car in L.A., which is which is what you're supposed to have. But for me, it was awesome. And so I'm calling him back a week later, and Bobby's not picking up his phone. And I'm sending texts to Bobby, and he's not answering it back. So I'm thinking, like, uh, we're in Los Angeles. I have your car. You'd think that you'd want your car back. Like, you'd think someone would be like, hey, give me back my car. Or like, yeah, I'll get my car back. But dead silence. I don't hear anything from Bobby V. I don't know him very well except through Freddy. So I'm like, okay, this is the part where I start to get a little, like, you know, shaded out. Like, his sketchers kind of, like, burn in my mind. Like, <laughs> you think you'd want his car back. So I go to Freddy's apartment, and I park in front of it. And I was expecting Freddy, who's sitting on the porch, to be like, hey, 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 all right, all right, all right. I don't get that. What I get is... Nah, 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 nah. I'm just like, 
dude, what's up, Freddie? And Freddie's like, oh, man, oh, man, no, man, no, man. That car, that car is hot. That car is hot. And I'm like, no, dude, it's, it's a Honda Civic, like a silver Honda Civic. It's the least hot car you can get. He's like, no, man, that car is hot. Like, do you understand? Hot. And I'm like, it's only been on for a few minutes. The engine hasn't been running on that long. Like, I'm sure it's fine. The light's not blinking. He's like, A-K, it's hot. You get me? You, you hear? It's hot. And then it hits me like. So uh, how do you know that, Freddie? You hear, man? So, uh, you know, Bobby V, 19 counts straight up GTA. Got caught by the cops, you know? I was like, how? He was like, well, he was jacking a car in front of the police station. <laughs> Bound to happen. I was like. 19? He's like, yeah, 19 GTA. And I'm like, oh, well, I was thinking in my head, like, you know, maybe this car's been stolen, right? This car could actually be Bobby V's car. Like, he might be stealing nice cars and has his own Honda Civic for himself. So I look at Freddie and I'm just like, well, how do you know this car specifically isn't stolen? Like, it could be his car. And Freddie's like, oh, no. See, here's the thing, man. Um, that car over there is uh, my neighbor's car. And I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, maybe Freddy's messing with me. Maybe Freddy's in some drug-induced hallucination. But I look at him, and he has the face of Matthew McConaughey in True Detective. Like, he is dead serious. A little panic starts to build up because I realize, like, I'm in a stolen car parked across the street from the person who it was stolen from. Like, the guy could look out the window and you'd see me in his stolen car. So I'm like, this is not good, is it? I was thinking, like, what could I do? Like, could I go to the guy and be like, here's your car. Peace out. Like, didn't think that was going to work out well. Then I think, like, maybe I should go to the cops. But then I realized, like, what am I going to do? Hey, LAPD, I found a car. I think someone was missing it. Peace out. And as I'm thinking that, like, you know, um, your choose-your-own-adventure, I feel like nine out of ten times in that scenario would be a bad end for me. And I was like, no, I don't want to go down for GTA. Like, I'm not ready for jail. I'm not built for jail. I'm not built for not making it even to jail. It's the LAPD. Like, so I look at Freddie. I'm like, so what do we do? And uh, Freddie goes from Matthew McConaughey to the wolf in Pulp Fiction. He's like, he goes, okay, ma'am. This is why we got to we got to erase your identity. We got to erase your existence. You're you and the car are two different beings than one now. I mean, he's a philosophy major on drugs, so he's like, we got to take your identity out of the car. We're gonna erase the car. We make the car. It will be the car without you. So like, should we go to the car wash? Yes. So. You know, like, I'm freaking out, right? I'm driving a stolen car in Los Angeles, you know? So I'm like, this is Fast and Furious style, man. This is thug living. So I could go Fast and Furious. I drive exactly the speed limit. I, you know, make sure my blinkers are working, the lights on. I check both ways because I'm not going down for GTA. We get to the car wash. We get the car all washed up nice. We get it waxed. I'm cleaning vacuum inside, you know? Freddy's in the back seat eating Cheetos. 
And so the car is clean, it's nice, it's brand new. We park in kind of in the darker area of the neighborhood for a little bit. And then when it comes to nighttime, I drive in, I park it in the guy's parking lot and just run off. And I've always wondered that guy coming out that next day with his car back after missing for over a week that he's probably reported stolen, not only there, but like, like fresh and clean, clean, you know? Like just, oh, straight up wax. Like you can see his face on the rims and the chrome. Like he actually has chrome now, you know? Um, it's clean inside, better than he even had it before. Um, yeah, sure, there's Cheeto dust in the back seat, but like, you know, the Cheeto bandit, I don't know. Like, blame it on something, right? So he comes out, like, really nice. So I go back a few days later and ask Freddie. I'm like, so Freddie, uh, you ever ask your neighbor about the car? Freddie's like, what car? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, the whole car situation. Like, it's like, Arun, there was no car. There will never be a car. I will not ask him about a car. We will not talk about a car. You hear? <laughs> I'm like, okay. He's like, no, no, you hear. Because um, if there's someone you trust about not talking about things, it's a drug dealer. So he's like, Arun, Fifth Amendment, whatever you do, do not incriminate yourself, okay? Nothing happened. No car was taken. Bobby Z, Bobby V doesn't exist. None of this ever happened. Do not incriminate yourself. You hear? Do not incriminate yourself. The fifth. Again, do not incriminate yourself. Oh, crap. I just incriminated myself, didn't I? Thank you, sir. Again, I have nothing to say after that. <laughs> what do you say after somebody admits to stealing a car that they didn't know was stolen? So, uh, Jordan Smith, you're next, so please clap for Jordan Smith. No, it's okay, Jordan. Just take your time. All right, quick hitter short story. Adam and I went to high school together, and one time he punched me in the balls so hard that I couldn't talk for like five minutes, and I think I almost cried every possible tear a human being could cry ever. It comes up almost every time we hang out together. <laughs> like every once in a while, it's just like, hey, remember that time I punched you in the balls so hard you thought you were gonna die? And it's like, yeah, and you move on. That was to get the nerves out. Here's the story. Okay, first, before I start the story, who here is a younger sibling to somebody? Like, who is a younger... Okay, you're all the problem. We'll start there. I am not. Two things you need to know. I have a younger brother. Obviously, that's part of the story. He's annoying as shit, like you all are. Two, I have a dad who, at the time of telling this story, was big and black and, like, southern raised and terrifying as fuck. Okay. (laughs) I don't remember the exact ages of this story, my younger brother was, like, young enough to where he could pick up a few, like, he could read a few words, but he couldn't, like, he wasn't, like, actually literate yet. Um, and I was, he's five years younger than me, so I was whatever that age is, plus five. <laughs> so one day, it's like a weekend, we're at home, and, like, he's just younger brother shit, like, annoying. He actually, okay, so he is, like, the athlete of the family. He's, like, weirdly good at, like, anything you do. Like, anything he wants to go do physically, he's really, really good at. So that day he decided he wanted to be really good at throwing like stuffed animals at my head. And like on target, just one after another. 
And like he, it was like weirdly good because I was like running, like I was running away from him at the time. He's like three or four or whatever. Like I was running away and trying to like stop hitting me in the head, and he wouldn't. Like he just didn't stop. So. Like, I had all this frustration, and, like, the one thing my parents, like, really, really instilled in, like, me and my, I have a bunch of other brothers, but me and my, Jess, well, we'll call him Jesse. (laughs) His name is actually Jesse. Uh, (laughs) The one thing that my parents, like, instilled in us is, like, I don't care if you ever want to, like, kill each other or, like, actually kill each other. You still look out for each other. You're still, like... You're still brothers, just get over it, and you're, like, that's, you're still bonded, that's it. So this is the day that that just went straight to shit, and like, he's on my last possible nerve, and like, I had just like, this rage, building like, actual, like I couldn't sit still, like trembling hands level like, hate for him at that moment, and... Y'all, these, those hands up for the younger ones, you've all done this to the older one. You may not know it, but you've done it like way more than you think you did it. So I couldn't figure out how to like get all the frustration out without getting in a shitload of trouble. So I came up with the bright idea. I'm going to write down how I feel about him because he can't read it. He can't snitch if he can't read. Perfect, right? Brilliant idea. So... I tell him my plan, because who cares? He can't read, right? (laughs) So I tell him, you can do whatever you want to. I'm going to go write down how I feel. (laughs) And like, he was locked and loaded with another beanie baby or some shit to throw at me. And he's like, Like, he just quit. It's like, good. And I, like, stormed off all proud. And I went and, like, grabbed some notebook that I had, like, I wrote in. And I wrote, okay, this is verbatim what was written on this page. Jesse is an idiot fucker. (laughs) And I thought that was, like, the most badass thing. I was, like, eight, nine. I thought it was, like, the most badass thing on the planet. Like, I got him. I got him. It didn't have to make sense. I used profanity. I got him. So then, like, I folded it up and, like, I had it in my hand. I was like, ha, 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 ha. you don't know what I said about it. Like, I was just taunting him like crazy. So, the, the few of the friends, like, I've had for forever know, like, my younger brother is, like, a weird ass, he was a weird ass kid. Like, wild child, like, just whatever. He, he went, like, we called it like monkey mode is what we called it growing up. He went into this mode where he didn't give a shit about anything other than getting that note from me so that he could use it against me. So he jumped me. Like he, he, he played smart. He played like he didn't care for a minute and then just like attacked. And he bit my hand so hard. Like I thought that was just the end of it. Like I thought my hand was done. He, like obviously I let go of the note and he just scoops it up and goes, I'm going to have dad read it to me. (laughs) So this is, this is the, we'll call it the word dry heave. This is, this is the beginning. Jesse, I, I get, Jesse, I'll get. I'll, I'll give you money. I'll give you money. Jesse, I'll give you money. He's like, I don't care. 
I don't want your money. I want to know what this says. No, Jesse, no. I swear, I don't. I, Jesse, don't. No. And he just, like, runs down the stairs. And, like, I literally, I thought this would save me. I just shut the door. <laughs> like, in the bedroom. <laughs> it's like, hidden. Before I really get into this whole next part of the story, what you need to know is at this time, my dad was born in Louisiana, raised in Kentucky with a super hard-ass family, and at the time was three years removed from being like the third best boxer in the state of Louisiana for the Air Force. And most of the time he's pretty easygoing, but like, this is one of the traits he passed on to his kids. Like, when you really piss him off, the light switch flipped, and he went, like, he just called it full Negro. This is a room full of mostly white people, but, like, whatever. He went full Negro and, like, just went off. And it was, like, a spectacle. Sometimes, like, he was, like, a meteor. It's like, oh. And this is one of those times. So I shut the door. Jesse runs downstairs. And all you hear, Jordan, get your ass down here. <laughs> didn't move. Literally didn't move. Boy, I know you heard me. <laughs> the only other thing you hear, On the door. Yeah? Open the goddamn door. I'm like eight years old. I've literally never been more terrified. I don't think I've ever been more scared of anything in my entire life than this, this one moment. Just a little, little open. Yeah? You know what this was, right? think like to be honest okay this is before I went to like the private the Christian school that like Adam went to and everything so I was like one of those bad boy public school kids but I had like just figured out what profanity was still I didn't actually know like I just knew it was a bad thing to say but like what the hell I don't whatever I think I know what it is what is it it's like um it's the you don't know do you no. The only thing that could come out of my mouth, what happens next? <laughs> I just tried to fast forward so hard. And, <laughs> and like, throughout the course of this conversation, I kind of pieced together, like, what those combination of words that I had written down meant, like I had sort of put together an idea of what those words were, and like my dad was like going off, like spit flying out, rage, like beating the door frame to prove a point type of thing, like it was bad and like I just remembered the old, like the last crystallizing part of this was when he said do you get what these words mean yet? All I said was, 
But like he was being an idiot fucker. <laughs> And I actually, like, broke my dad. He started laughing. (laughs) And all he said was, I heard the whole thing. I know. (laughs) Uh, The last thing he said before he walked in is, just don't say it. (laughs) And that's it. That's that's, (laughs) it. Thank you, Jordan. I'm, I'm glad for that last part because, <clears throat> I mean, first of all, Jesse was an idiot fucker. <laughs> Is. And second of all, when you first said that, that you're like, your, your brother took it to your dad, like, I just, I could see your dad, like, reading that note and going, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's my son. And also, I did punch Jordan in the balls. Like, really hard. <laughs> so hard that it hurt my fist. And, but we weren't in high school yet. We were in middle school. I was, I was in 8th grade, and you were in 7th grade. And uh, I, did, I did one of these things where... I, yeah, I don't know what that means. But uh, <laughs> I snapped with this hand. And I'm right-handed, so I, I can't snap with this hand. Here, look can't do it. I can with this one. So I snapped with this hand up above his head and at the same time punched his balls with my left hand so hard that my hand hurt afterwards. And he said that he couldn't talk for five minutes when he was up here. It was 15 minutes of him crumpled on the floor crying onto like a gym mat. And by, I, I had to lift him up and carry him to a couch. And when I... When <laughs> When I picked him up, there was a puddle of tears. Like, I mean, an actual puddle of tears. I have, like, honestly, I, uh, I don't know why I did that. No, it's not an exaggeration. And, like, I mean, for years, I felt terrible about it. Like, almost instantly felt bad. Like, it's one of the things that you do, and all of a sudden you're like, why did I... Why did I do that? It wasn't word vomit. It was punch vomit. And it was, it was bad. But I've never had to confront it so publicly. <laughs> so thank you for that. Uh, our next storyteller is uh, a good friend of Jordan's. His name is Dan. And his last name is McHugh. So clap for Dan McHugh. Thank you. I'm sure punch vomit can be next, uh, next month's theme. It's going to get real dark. Um, so this story is about me and my mother. Uh, my mother goes probably to four or five different countries every year. She's crazy. She just goes everywhere. And every once in a while, I'm lucky enough that she's just looking for a travel partner and be like, hey, do you want to go to Cambodia with me? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. So we went to Cambodia. Um, but before that, I was uh, thinking about renewing my passport. So... I looked at my passport, it was like, I don't know how long they last, I think it's like 10 years or something, but it was one year before that. So I still looked like a 16-year-old. Um, if you can imagine, 100% less hair here, and all of that hair being transported up here, 
that's a good general uh, image of what it looked like. So I talked to my mom. She was like, hey, did you get a new passport? Do you need one? I was like, no, I still got a year left. I'm cool. And why, do you think I should? And she's like, well, you kind of look like a Mohammed now. I'm like, well, you kind of look pretty racist now. <laughs> and so I was like, no, I'm cool. I got my passport. It's still, I don't want to go through the hassle of like getting another one that actually looks like me. So off to Cambodia. So we go to Cambodia. I'm in the airport. Flights and traveling really stress me out. I love traveling. I love going to new places. But like the in-between parts are just awful. I just hate flights. I hate the uncertainty of like you know possibly getting uh, your flight bumped and having your whole schedule like screwed up for your whole vacation. I hate like I'm constantly paranoid about my passport. My one recurring nightmare in life is losing my passport in a foreign country. And so we got there and uh, we got to the airport. And I was checking into the airport at Cambodia. Um, and they told us before we went there, they're like, yeah, it's a little bit of a sketchy place. There's a bit of poverty, but, you know, it's not, it's not too bad. Just make sure you keep track of everything. So I went to the, the airline, uh, the visa desk, where they were stamping visas and everything. And uh, I was trying to fill out a Cambodian form about why I was coming to their country. And the attendant there was just like, here, here. And I was like, uh, okay. So I like, gave him my form, and he just started filling it out for me. And I'm like, oh, that's sweet. So um, he fills it out for me and like, gives it back. And then he's like, like $5. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. So I gave him $5, and I took my passport and walked away with a stamped visa. I'm like, I think I just bribed a Cambodian official. I'm not entirely sure what happened there, but I'm pretty sure that's the picture. So I went through passport, uh, where they were, they checked my passport again, and, you know, I don't, I don't know why, there's a million checks, and um, so I got through there, got with my mom, and we were on the other side, and then these two guys came up to me, and they were like, stop, I'm like, w- w- what, and they're like, can we see your passport, I'm like, holy shit, they're looking for Muhammad, and <laughs> It's like, I don't know who that is right now, but it's bad. And they think it's me, I'm sure, because my racist mom said so. No, she's a sweet lady. But um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm not sure exactly what they were looking for to this day, but they looked at my passport, and, and they looked at my mom, and she's like, is this your son? And she's like, yeah. And they're like, really? <laughs> and she's like, Yeah. And then they're like, okay. And they just gave me my passport and I was able to walk away. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I wonder how bad customs is going to be. So I went to the customs desk and it was like a stand-up table like the ones that you guys are sitting at right now. And it was just completely abandoned. So we just walked through. And then we enjoyed our time in Cambodia. It was great. That's my story. Thanks, Dan. Dan has a really good story about uh, one time when he was driving a uh, truck for the company he worked for under a really low bridge, <laughs> and he just sheared off the top of the back of the truck. <laughs> Does anybody understand what I mean? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you should ask him about it. It's pretty good. Our next storyteller. I really hope you're still here. I don't, uh, I don't know. So <laughs> our next storyteller is Daisy Nim. so give it up. Hello. It is also my first time being here. 
I'm going to tell you a story about when I was in college. Most of you are probably aware that you have breath requirements in college. And those of you who were in the hard sciences knew you hated breath requirements. They were something you had to do. They were something that seemed like they didn't matter to you. And as a physics major, the first year of college, you thought you were better than everyone else. <laughs> and I've since learned that that isn't true. But <laughs> at the time, I was very much convinced of that. So I went into this class, and I was like, easy class. I'm done. I'm not going to pay attention. So I get to the first essay, and we were supposed to read, uh, we were supposed to read Frankenstein and write, um, write an essay about what the author intended the message to be for Frankenstein. And I was like, oh, well, that's easy. It's clearly a man versus man shouldn't be God. Technology's bad. Okay, I think I got this. So I write the essay, and I feel really good about it. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is pretty well researched. I feel like the text supports this. I turn it in, and I get back a C plus, And I'm like, what the fuck? Daisy doesn't get C plus." <laughs> so I look at the comments, and the comment is, you didn't, one of the comments is, you didn't repeat your thesis often enough. And I was like, what the shit kind of comment is that? What do you want me to do, repeat my thesis in every, in every single paragraph? OK, fine. <laughs> And then I look further, and it's like, this seems too easy to support with the evidence from the piece. And I'm like, OK. This seems like a bizarre comment. But OK, I'll, I'll incorporate that next time. So the next piece we're reading, this is, about, this is a supernatural literature class. The next piece we're reading is Dracula. And I'm like, well, OK. It seems, to, seems something about rip, uh, repressed kind of sexuality going on in Dracula, for those of you who have read it. And I'm like, okay, but that seems, that seems too obvious. I need to add something to this to make it weirder so that, so that I'll, get some, I'll get some more credit. And I was like, huh. Well, uh, blood's a liquid. <laughs> and semen's a liquid. So... Clearly, clearly, the author was doing something here. <laughs> I, I didn't actually believe that. I was just convincing myself of it so I could write this essay, getting into the zone. So now I was in the zone. And I, I, I write the essay, and I'm like, OK, this is pretty good. I go back and edit it, put my thesis in every paragraph. <laughs> and. I'm, I'm proud of this one. I'm like, okay, okay, I got this. I turn it in. I get the grade back. B. I'm like, Daisy doesn't get Bs either. <laughs> I'm going to get an A on this one. And I look at the comments, and she's like, this still seems a bit too obvious. And I'm like, wait, really? <laughs> I straight pulled that out of my ass. Okay. <laughs> so less obvious for the third one. And I, so, and then you need to repeat your thesis more. And I'm like, I literally repeated my thesis in every paragraph. What do you want from me? So at this point, I'm a little confused. And I'm like, okay, I don't think my sober brain can handle this. <laughs> so I intoxicate myself substantially on a Tuesday night. <laughs> I go up to my computer. I start typing. I'm like, what is the absolute worst thesis I can imagine for this? It was some modern story about vampires, except that the vampires were female. And I was like, okay, 
how can I parody this in the most absolutely retarded way possible? <laughs> uh, I got it. Clearly, the thesis, the author intended for us to think that the only possible healthy relationship involving sex was between a mother and her daughter. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that might be a little over the top, but I'm drunk, fuck it. <laughs> so I write out, my, I write out my, th- my story, and I look at it the next morning, and I'm like, wow, this is crap. <laughs> Maybe maybe the third maybe the third shot of Everclear was unnecessary, <laughs> or the fourth. But anyway, I look at it and I'm like, okay, I'll just clean up the punctuation. I'll repeat my thesis a lot more. So like literally every third sentence was just rephrasing my thesis. And I'm like, there's no possible way that this story will do well. But fuck it, I'm gonna turn it in anyway. So, I turn it in, I get back the feedback, A+, plus, and I'm like, what? So, I, I look at the feedback, and it says, I really felt like you couldn't have gotten this from the story, and I was amazed by that. And I'm like, you gave me an A+, plus because I pulled it out of my ass, and it was clearly obvious to you that I pulled it out of my ass? Okay. <laughs> So then my, one, of my, one of my friends who's in this, who was in the same class but was uh, not, a, not a physics major, she was a psych major or something, I don't remember at this point, but she said, how, how are you doing anything in this class? I feel like I get, I get marked down whenever I turn in anything. And I'm like, yeah, okay, so here's the secret. <laughs> get really shit-faced. Like, really, really drunk. I know it's a Wednesday night, but believe me on this. Get really, really drunk for the final. And come up with the most absolutely insane thing you can think of. And then turn it in. And she's like, that sounds like the worst advice I've ever heard. I was like, no, just do it. So she does it and and gets her grade back, also an A+. So at that point, we thought we had figured out English classes. Turns out we were wrong. But that's another story. Thank you. Just a reminder to storytellers, keep this mic in front of your mouth. Megan Emery, you're next. Give it up for Megan. I just wanted you guys to clap as long as possible, so long way around, right? Most of these stories about word vomit have been like human error or uh, just forgivable excuses for teenage years. Uh, Mine is a little darker than that, so (laughs) try to bear with me. When I was 17, there was a girl from a a neighboring town who I knew. We had dated the same guy, thankfully not at the same time, but we decided that was a friendship, right? That we had suffered through the same experiences. He was not a good person. Also, he was 17, but still not a good person. And we decided that that constituted a relationship. And, um... 
she got pregnant at 17. And we were talking on MSN, because that was still a thing, aging myself a little bit. And uh, I remember thinking at the time, holy shit, (laughs) like you're 17 and you're pregnant. And she's talking to me through the messenger about how amazing it is and how happy she is and how her family including her dad, who was a pastor at a local church, were behind her and how her and her boyfriend were going to work it out and they were going to be the best parents they could be. And she was so excited and so happy. And part of me was so there for her and so excited and like, yes, you've got this. Until she said, I know somebody who is my age who had an abortion and I could never forgive her. She's disgusting. And as an adult, I can look back and I can say she probably didn't know that I was the best friend who held the hand of that friend that she described as disgusting while she got that abortion and how we cried together, sobbed in this sterile room of doctors who had to perform this abortion, even knowing it's probably not what this teenage girl wanted. I'm sure that this blissfully happy 17-year-old girl had no idea that I was there and that I was ringside for this tragedy. And so when you talk about word vomit and how you're you're puking on somebody else's shoes. This girl had no idea what she was in for, and I railed on her about how she was unfit, about how she and her boyfriend would wake up a year from now and regret ever having this baby, and how she could not possibly understand the consequences of the decision she was making in this hormonal-filled part of her life. And I know a lot of stories have a beginning and a middle and an end. But the beginning of the story is two 17-year-old girls who thought they were friends. And the middle of it is me being the absolute worst person I've ever been in my entire life. And the end of it is me seeing her out in our tiny towns, in our tiny bars, And thinking about her beautiful family and how successful she was at raising that child and how amazing she is as a mother and not being able to look her in the eye. Thank you. That was great. You were so worried that that wasn't going to be good. That was a really good story. It actually reminds me of a story where I word vomited. Uh, Very, very similar situation. Uh, Except I don't feel bad about what I said to this girl. (laughs) Uh, Her name was uh, Katie. That was her name. We worked together at Jimmy John's. And uh, Katie was a white girl. And she was dating a black guy named Maine. And it, it is pertinent to the story because she, I'll just tell you, one day we're outside smoking a cigarette, me, Katie, 
and our boss, Corey. Corey is a, a white woman. <laughs> oh, you know Corey. That's why, yeah. Uh, so, um, Katie is 22, maybe, at this time. And she has three children who have all been taken away by the state. And she's dating this black guy named Maine. Which, great, more power to you. And then she says, me and Maine... We think about having another kid because or they, ha- they had not had a kid yet. We're thinking about having a kid because mixed babies are the cutest. And I don't disagree. <laughs> like, mixed babies are super cute. Great. But keep in mind, this girl had had three children taken away from her by the state because they declared her an unfit mother. <laughs> and I was 19 years old. <laughs> and I said, maybe you should just not... <laughs> I said, maybe you should just, like, stop having children. And she went, why do you say that? And I was like, well, because you have three children who the state have told you that you're unfit to care for. And, like, I I don't know, adding another one to the mix is probably, like, I mean, the state hasn't come back and been like, you know what, we're wrong. Uh, So maybe maybe you don't have another one. That would be, I don't want to pay for it. And uh, she was pissed, <laughs> and I almost got fired over it, but my boss agreed with me. So anyway, <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, that's how I word vomited all over Katie and Maine. Uh, Katie later robbed us of like $3,000. It was, it was good times. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's give it up for our next storyteller and final storyteller, Fiona Kine. If you were hoping for a happy story, no. (laughs) So this is um, the time when I was a dirty snitch. So um, in high school and in middle school, I was in orchestra, which in the grand scheme of extracurricular activities is lower than chess club, and it is definitely at my school lower than band. Because while we had Miss Dalpez, who was horrible, The band director, Mr. Donley, was so cool. He was like the guy that everyone wanted to fist bump, you know. Band, they played at like football games, so they were basically football players. And um, Mr. Donley was the type of teacher that you could go to if you had problems. And he would listen to you and actually listen to you. And, you know, it had become sort of a ritual with my friends, um... A lot of them were in band, and um, they, would co- they would go to him, and they'd be like, oh, Mr. Donnelly, you know, so-and-so's ragging on me, so-and-so's causing me problems, and he would talk with them, and he was a really great resource and a sense of comfort for a lot of people. And one of those people was one of my friends who I'd known forever. Her name is Kendall. And, um, you know, you enter high school, you're 14 years old, and as we got a little bit older, it seemed like the relationship between Mr. Donley and Kendall was a little bit different than it was with other people. You know, they, they shared a lot more secrets, they met each other a lot more often, um, he would often work late in his office, you know, just playing drums or doing whatever, hanging out, um, And right around the time we were, like, 17 years old, um, 
you know, everybody was getting Instagram and posting everything online, and we started to see photos of Mr. Donnelly going on hikes with some of his students. And, you know, I was never invited. I was in orchestra, sort of the outsider, but um, Mr. Donnelly, you know, kept coming up in these news feeds, and he kept being featured in these photos with very young women, you know, and I would, you know, send a text to Kendall, be like, hey, do you want to hang out? And she's like, sorry, I'm going to go get coffee with Mr. Donnelly. And I was kind of like, there were red flags in my mind, but it wasn't prominent enough, and I didn't have enough experience at the time to say, hold on, why are you, 17-year-old, going to meet Mr. Donnelly at 8 o'clock on a Saturday? What coffee shop is open right now? And um, it was a pretty, you know, small suburb. And, um, you know, I graduated. Everything was great. I went off to college. And then the winter of my freshman year, I got a call from my mom. And she was like, I don't know what's going on, but there is a a lawyer from the school district, and they won't tell me anything, but they're going to ask you some questions, and you have to call me right back and tell me everything. And I was like, okay, okay. You know, she's like, okay, they're going to call you in 30 seconds. Call me back. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I don't care. An hour, call me back. And so I got this call. You know, it was snowing outside. I was in my dorm. I had one of my brand new friends with me. And... Um, I got a call, and, they, and the lawyer was like, hey, you remember Mr. Donnelly, um, and you remember Kendall, so we're, we're investigating whether or not he had an inappropriate relationship with some of his students, and in my mind, well, and the big, the big pertinent piece was they were like, someone has already spoken about this, and we're asking a bunch of people and your vice principal said that you are an honest person, so please tell us the truth. And I'm like, oh, fuck. What do I do? Because, like, I had recognized it, but it hadn't really been something. It was, like, weird, but it wasn't weird enough that I was like, oh, my God. And I had no perspective on the issue. But I'm sitting there in silence, and my mind is racing. I'm like, what do I say? How much do I say? Who ratted out? You know, am I going to be the rat? And so I just, you know, the floodgates opened. I said, fuck it. And I told them everything. Any detail I could think of, I was like, dates, weird stuff that had happened, and like, you know, there was the frantic typing in the background, or it was recorded, but, um, I, you know, that happened, that night happened, I called my mom back, she interrogated me like she has never interrogated me before, and she is the type of person that could, like, squeeze water from a stone if the water was information, so... I, you know, went on with my life. I've only been back a couple of times, but every single time that I've been home, whenever there's a gathering with some of my friends, you know, from high school, that's always the conversation that we have is like, oh, did you hear what happened to Mr. Donnelly? He got fired. I wonder who ratted him out. I didn't do it. Did you do it? 
And um, this last Saturday, I was at home for a wedding, and it was a very like beautiful ceremony, and there were a bunch of people I hadn't seen in a long time, and the talk of the town at that point was that a month prior, Kendall and Mr. Donnelly had gotten married. And so it was like, oh, well, who's gone to the wedding and who was there? And I finally, you know, started to see um, photographs of it, but I had kept it to myself that I was the one that had spoken out about it. And I finally just said, it was me. I did it. And it turns out that it had gotten pinned on one of my close friends and had destroyed relationships for him between like the school and um, some of our other close friends. And it had really created a divide because he had stayed at home and I had gone away. And not being able to fully like understand that because I had left and I know that I had done the right thing, but it was still something that, like, now that I'm older and I have more perspective, it's like, hell yeah, Mr. Donnelly, you should have gone to jail. But sort of having that, you know, that inability to look that person in the face. And every time I went home, I was scared that I was going to see Kendall in person or Mr. Donnelly in person and then just be unable to contain what I had done, even though it was the right thing to do, just the shame of like ratting out a friend. Yep. Okay, that's it for this episode of Madison Story Slam. Uh, hopefully, you just ate up all that word vomit. Hopefully, you enjoyed those stories. And you know what? Even more hopefully, you're looking forward to our upcoming Story Slam. That's Saturday, September 17th at the Wilmar Center. Doors will open at 6. Stories start at 7. We're sponsored by Ale Asylum, so big thanks to them. And uh, feel free to bring food and non-alcoholic beverages to the Wilmar Center. We'll be in the Yahara Room. Uh, anyway, a lot of great things for Story Slam this year. We're looking at maybe doing t-shirts. Anyway, we'll, we'll tell you all about that. We'll see you next time.